This is Emergency Medicine Match Advice, sponsored by Academic Life in Emergency Medicine. This is a podcast series designed to help medical students and residents strategically navigate applying to emergency medicine residency and fellowship programs. I am your host, Sarah Krasaniak from Stanford University. Let's get started. All right, I want to welcome everybody to episode 39. I am joined today by Dr. Matt Perot. He is the program director at Vanderbilt University and joining us for the first time on EM Match Advice. Welcome, Matt. Thanks, Sarah. Thanks for having me. Looking forward to the conversation. Well, so as you all know, we love doing new things here on EM Match Advice, and today is no exception. So we are letting you, our medical student listeners, ask us the questions. I want to thank the students who saw our posts and submitted questions for us to answer. And in case you missed it, Michelle, can you remind everyone, where can they find us on social media these days? Yeah, absolutely. I love this idea of a virtual mailbag. I hope we do this again in the future because, I mean, we don't know what kind of questions you have. So why not just ask? But basically, you can find us on alium.com, which is our main website. But we are also on Twitter for however long it's going to last for at Alium Team. Same handle for Instagram, and we're also at Facebook at Academic Life in EM. Amazing. So lots of places to find us. And I think this is a really exciting format to take. So I anticipate we'll do more open calls for questions in the future. And don't forget, you can find show notes on alium.com. We'll put relevant links. We have a reference to share with you today and more info on the team that is joining us and people that have contributed to this podcast, even if they can't be here in person with us today. Before I get started, I want to do a quick wellness check. We are midway through December. Matt, how is interview season going for you? Have you had a favorite part? It's going really well, actually. I think we've all settled in really nicely to the Zoom format and have fully adjusted to it. I think every year just keeps introducing its own craziness, and this year's no exception. But I one thing that's really cool this year has just been the sheer quality of the applicant pool, getting to talk to students day in and day out. It really makes me really enthusiastic and optimistic for the future of the specialty at a time when I think a lot of people are looking for reasons not to be. You get to meet these students and recognize we're all in in pretty good hands, especially as people like Sarah and I get a little bit older. I totally agree. You know, interview season can feel long. We've been doing this since October here at Stanford, but I totally agree. Every time I get to sit down with a group of 14 new students each week and hear some of the amazing things they're doing, I agree. It's really invigorating and it it definitely keeps me going throughout the interview season. Okay, so let's get to the real meat of the episode. I picked three questions that I think we can tackle today. And Michelle, just in case you were worried that you couldn't take my word and Matt's word for it, We've crowdsourced our PD people for their answers as well. Nice. A hack for everyone to know is we all stick together. All of us PDs, we stick together. We talk to each other. We have groups. Um, I heard you guys have a secret WhatsApp channel. Is that true? Um, That's classified and need to know information at this time. (laughs) Guess it's not secret anymore, Michelle. Thanks. But we do have input from 12 other program directors. We will acknowledge them in our show notes, but from across the country, Wisconsin, Northwestern, Denver, Mount Sinai, Elmhurst, Maimonides, Brookdale, you name it. We've got input from lots of other PDs. So while Matt and I will definitely share our personal experiences, we are bringing in their perspectives as well. So the first question I have for you, Matt, is about letters of interest. And I just want to start with a quick caveat and note that this is the first year we're using preference signaling in emergency medicine. 
And in case anyone isn't familiar with this process, applicants will get to signal up to five EM programs, their interest. And on the program side, I, as I review all of my applicants, can see which applicants have signaled my program. The idea is that programs should be using this in decisions made about who to invite for an interview for their program. So if you have more questions, definitely lots of resources online. But in case we talk about preference signaling, still a bit of a new concept that we're all working through, but that is what we are referring to. So my first question for you, Matt, from one of our dedicated listeners is... How much do you value letters of interest and thank you letters? Let's just narrow the focus a little bit here to letters of interest that are sent to a program or a program director between that interview to rank list certification window. We batted this around a little bit in our group, as you remember, and I think came up with some pretty good information. Actually found out that there is some data on this, a paper that'll be in the show notes. The first author is Aaron Kraut, who's the program director at Wisconsin and a good friend of both of ours. He was actually my intern when he was in residency, which is a fun fact. But the data, the limited data that they have was a survey of 99 program directors. About 23% said that they might move someone up based on a letter of interest, and 11% said that they actually might move someone down. And I think that there's some other surprising facts that came out of that paper, if I remember it correctly, Sarah. Yeah, well, you know, what really surprised me is that they had 97 applicants that responded to this survey, and 22% of these applicants said they would change a program's position on their rank list based on how the program responded to their thank you letter, which is very scary for me. As an applicant, you have 13 to 18, maybe 20 programs that you've applied to or interviewed at rather. And so you might have 20 letters that you need to send. But remember that the program directors are interviewing upwards of 200 applicants. And that is a lot of pressure to send a personalized response to every thank you letter. So that was a really big surprise to me that applicants are moving those programs up and down based on that response. Although I totally get it because you you want to hear a response. You want to know that someone's read your letter and it was meaningful, but that's a lot of inbox letters. Yeah. Kind of one of those things you read in a paper that you, you wish you could unread or unsee, <laughs> but now we've both, now we've both seen it. Yes. I we're both going to go back and frantically respond to letters. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I, I'm also kind of someone who generally sends something relatively brief back and I may need to rethink that process. I think o- overall the thank you letters, I don't think really any of us are putting much stock in whether or not we get a thank you note, particularly a paper card from an applicant. I personally tell the applicants multiple times on the interview day specifically not to send paper thank you notes. Getting a thank you note from a, from an applicant is nice. It probably doesn't move the needle. I think probably a better thing for you and I to discuss is, is the letters of interest after interview before rank, where a student suggests to us that they may rank us highly or number one. I think in our unofficial straw poll, we probably realized that there's a lot of different responses to these. I don't think we came up with anything that was overwhelming or a hard rule of thumb that we could say. Certainly, if there's a cohort of applicants that seem really similar to each other, a letter of interest might bump them up a little bit. And some of that might be because we trust an applicant's ability to understand if they might be someone who would be successful at our program. Does that sound about like your understanding of it, Sarah? Yeah, I definitely agree. You know, I think the letter of interest that comes after an interview 
carries a different kind of weight for me because it means after they've looked at our program online and spent several hours with us and met our residents and met our faculty and talked to me and learned even more about our program, if they're still interested in and they send a thoughtful, detailed letter about it, you know, that does mean something. But I agree the way that it impacts the rank list, it's probably not a ton. Now, you brought up the you're my number one program, which I suppose we probably should also talk about that. I think as a program director, letters of interest fall into these two camps. One is that you get the you're my number one, and then there's everything else. Personally, even if I get a you're my number one letter, because the match system is so set up to benefit the applicant, I'm not sure that it's going to make a ton of difference on my rank list. But again, similar apples to apples comparison. If someone sends me, you're my number one, I might move it up. I don't know. What about you, Matt? Oh, I mean, once again, it's it's really hard to make broad sweeping statements about this. I definitely agree with you that anything other than you're my number one is not really very useful, particularly coming from a competitive applicant who you kind of know is probably going to go where they want to go. I guess one thing I would say and then ask you is I never dislike getting a letter that says I'm ranking you number one, because it also is interesting feedback to me as a program director about who we resonated with. I'll be honest with you, if we're going to reveal some of the internal processes, I really don't change my rank list based on those. And I think probably most of our colleagues aren't making drastic changes to their rank lists either. So I think it probably lands more in the area of just nice information to know rather than something that's really going to move the needle beyond how the interview day went and whether or not the program is a good match for your specific interests and strengths. I I got a question for you then. Let's say I'm a student and this is all great advice. Is there a downside besides lying and telling everybody that they're number one? Is there a downside to just emailing your number one program? Not from my standpoint. What I tell the students I advise is tell your number one program they're your number one and probably your number two through four programs that you're ranking them highly. What drives that mostly from my standpoint is I think that that is just the way that things are happening. There's no downside, right, Sarah? Yeah, I definitely agree. No downside. But as Michelle alluded to, don't tell a program that you're their number one if they're not your number one. I will say though, it's very fair for you to change your number one. Ideally, you shouldn't send the email until you've pretty much got that rank list locked in. But I have had an applicant say we were their number one and then say, you know what, I've had some family things arise since I sent you that email. It's no longer the right time for me to move to California. And I just wanted to let you know that I've had to change my rank list to reflect that. So that's the way to do it. If you know that you sent this email and now something has changed, do let them know because we figure it out. Secret WhatsApp account is there. I know know it. Yes. Trust me, we all we all figure out when someone has told multiple programs, you're my number one, and it comes out eventually. I have definitely helped students navigate that situation. And I think Sarah's advice is exactly correct. If something changes in your family situation, we're all human beings with, with families and people that we care about. If you drop that PD an email or ask if you can hop on the phone and just describe the situation, all of us are going to understand that situation and not feel 
like you were dishonest or it was a bait and switch. I'm constantly telling people I'm advising, just be honest with people about what's going on. Don't try to game things. Don't try to play 4D chess. Just say, this is what's happening in my life and this is how it's changed my circumstance. I mean, isn't that how pretty much all of us would want to be addressed in a similar situation? Yeah, I definitely agree. I think like all things in life, honesty is the best policy. And as much as we hate to see a great candidate go to another program, we want residents that are going to be happy. And a big part of being happy at a program is what's your support and who's around you. And people make decisions for a lot of things other than just what the program has to offer. And we know that we want students to make those decisions for the right reasons. All right. So let's transition sort of along those same lines, Matt. Do you have any tips on connecting with busy PDs? So if an applicant wants to connect, recognizing that we are really busy, which I appreciate, what are some tips that you might have? That's a really good question. And I think a honest, earnest email is probably the way to go here once again. And I think a really good way to start that conversation is to ask the program director a well thought out but not excessively complicated question that can generate a discussion between you. But think about it as not just trying to get FaceTime with that PD for the sake of FaceTime, but what do you actually want to discuss more about the program? So for me, I'd be a lot more likely to really engage with an applicant after the fact if they took something away from the interview and they wanted to discuss it in detail. You know, for example, we focus a lot on leadership development at Vanderbilt. So if somebody said, how would this work for me, given that these are my interests, it kind of, for me, puts that program director in the mindset of, I need to find creative ways to describe our process. And I think that that's probably a better way than just asking a question that could be answered on the website. I agree. I think I would answer this by asking what the intent was for wanting to connect with the PD. Is it a question that you genuinely have about the program? If so, is the PD the one that has to answer it? Do you have a connection at the program, a resident, another faculty member, you know, another way to get that question answered. If it's a simple, how many ICU months do you have? Go to the website, make sure it's there before you email the PD a question that you could have answered by going to the website. If it's really just to express interest, I think we've we've talked about that at length. A letter of interest is perfectly reasonable. And if that's really your only reason for emailing, you don't have to have a question in there. And in fact, I have told students as well, feel free to put at the bottom of your email, I know you're really busy and I don't expect a response. I just wanted to email you and say, I really liked my interview day and it was great to get to meet all of you. I love that because then I know I don't have to respond. I know that you don't expect it. Now that I know that 22% of applicants are changing their, their lists based off of my response, I do appreciate when someone can just truly and honestly say they don't expect a response. So I think that's how I would look at this is like, what's your motivation? Can you find an answer someplace else? Don't ask a question just for the sake of asking a question. And feel free to give that out at the end of the email to say, I just wanted to say thanks. You don't have to respond. I think that's a great tip about you don't necessarily have to respond. I might steal that for some of the emails that I send, actually. Actually, that's a great point. I think I give this advice. I should also take my own advice. So look at us. We're also all of our leadership is going to be so happy with us moving forward. Lifelong learning, right? (laughs) That's right. Never stops. All right. Well, let's get to the last question, because I think this is a really great question. And the question is, how much does an interview weigh on the ranking? The person that submitted this question said, it's hard to imagine 
that a question like, tell me a time when X, Y, or Z happened could really carry that much value. So what do you think, Matt? Yeah, again, let me let me report results of our straw poll. And I think what we learned is that there's pretty clearly every program is going to have some combination of a file score, meaning that the score that we're able to generate from ARIS and then an interview score. And it seems like there's a wide variety or variation, I should say, in how programs rank those two things. There's going to be outliers in either direction, but interviews are pretty important. I mean, it's the only time that we get a chance to chat with you, to see if we vibe with you. One thing that I always say to applicants, especially students I advise is, You have to find a place with weirdos who are weird the way you're weird. And interviews are really the only time when you're going to sort that out. So I think if you are someone who who barely met whatever the screening criteria are for an interview, I mean, realistically, it's probably not going to rocket you to the top of the list, but it's the only thing that possibly could. So I think interviews are extraordinarily important. And occasionally we do encounter students who seem to not be taking the interview very seriously or seem distracted during the interview. And that's sure not going to help. What are your thoughts, Sarah? Yeah, I definitely agree with that. You know, and I realized when I saw this question, students may not actually know what goes into designing an interview day. It might just seem like we put out a doodle poll and get the first six people that are available to come and meet and greet. But really a well-designed interview day will help us as a program really get to know the applicant outside of what they've written on their application. And so, you know, we at Stanford spend a lot of time thinking about what are the questions we're going to ask, because these are questions that really get to some things that we may not know from the application. And as program director, it gives me an opportunity to maybe dig a little bit deeper into something that I had a question about on the application, or like maybe there's something that feels like a red flag or, you know, something that gets brought up in one line of one slow or MSPE. And I want to ask a question and it really helps me better appreciate that. We actually had a resident who did some interviews last week, uh, one of our PGY2s, who had what I thought was a great, very simple interview question that I might steal in the future. And his interview question was, what are you working on? Which I think is actually just an awesome way to open a conversation. And he got a lot of really cool responses to that. I love that. You know, and that's exactly the kind of thing that you don't always get a sense from the application. You can really see people light up and see what they're passionate about. Not all of the applications are really fully representative of who a person is. You and I, I'm sure both have had instances where people over-exaggerate their involvement in something. We ask about it in the interview and they really don't have a very well thought out answer. But I find that more often people underestimate how great they are. And, you know, I'll ask them about something and they just, again, they light up, they have so much to say about it. And I love seeing that. I love seeing the applicants that come through, you know, with, with a passion for something adjacent to emergency medicine. Am I allowed to give an interview tip on this podcast? Is that yeah, allowed? there's okay. no rules on this podcast. Yeah. So this is true for podcasting. It's true for interviews for students. And it's true for life, which is the foundation of improv comedy. So this is what they teach at Second City and the Groundlings and all the places that feed into Saturday Night Live and the legends of improv is yes and. So when someone asks you a question, Sarah, tell me what you're most proud of on your application. The answer is not my research. It's yes, and. So it's my research. Let me tell you about that. It was this project that I did with the department, and then you're kind of off to the races. Every student can benefit from just internalizing the concept of yes, and. That's my tip. I love that. And I think 
again, you know, as an applicant thinking about what did I not have space to include in the two lines that I had to describe this thing that I did is, is really probably the way to do it. You know, Matt, I was really surprised when talking to other program directors that they said, you know, the interview actually for many programs is between 30 and 60% of the final score of an applicant. And that's pretty heavy, 60% of a score at some places. So, you know, I really think this gets to this idea that if you make it to the interview, the program already thinks you're great, you're interesting, you're competitive. They think that you'll fit in with their mission, vision, and values. And they really want to then get to talk to you to decide where you land on that final rank list. And you know, in the virtual world, we're not getting opportunities to get a sense for that 3 a.m. test. You know, their students aren't doing as many away rotations and we're not getting to hang out and get a drink or a meal with you at an interview social so it's really our chance to get that 3 a.m. test. You know, Matt, you mentioned the the applicants that seem disinterested. I think this is probably the thing we find most often in, in applicants that may actually land lower on the rank list is once we review the interview day, we're like, man, that interview just drug out. They didn't seem at all interested in talking to us. It seemed like they were bored. You know, that really comes across on an interview. Absolutely. And I mean, keep in mind, this is emergency medicine. We're, we're emergency doctors. For the most part, we're probably going to be more interested in whether or not we can joke with you at 3 a.m. as opposed to how many first author publications you have. I think as much or more than any specialty, we value emotional intelligence and a sense of humor and not taking yourself too seriously. And I think when we see those things coming out in an interview, it tends for most of us to probably start bumping that candidate up the list a little bit because ultimately we want to have fun at work. Yeah, I definitely agree. You know, one of the program directors mentioned this is the opportunity to get to know the values, ethics, and empathy that a student has, because that doesn't always come across in an application. You know, you're volunteering and, and the things that you might write about in your personal statement can get to that, but it's really those other things. Do you have a growth mindset? Are you going to be able to take care of all of our patients that come to the ED? Those are the things I think that you can really get to in an interview. Michelle, I want to hear what you have to think because you have been involved with the interview process before, and but not in the virtual era. And I'm curious if you think, how much did the in-person interview weigh in the process? I think it still pretty much fits the same model. And and I like to kind of describe this in a, like, you, you know, you navigate the interview season. Well, think about you floating on ocean water, you're in a raft. And the idea of interview season basically is you can pump a little bit more air in your raft if you have a really great interview. So you can go up on your rank list a little bit on the PD list. But I think if you do really poorly, you're going to spring some leaks and you're going to be at the bottom of the ocean if things go really poorly. So I think another way to think about it is it's not a very symmetrical bell curve. You can go up a little bit, but you can go all the way to the bottom with the interview process. That's my thought about it. But gosh, I did love the in-person thing, breaking bread, really getting to know the quirky size of people that the humor doesn't quite come across on a Zoom call. I do remember one year, I remember all of us kind of going in for hugs of the applicants, which I'm not sure if it's a good idea. We might have scared them off, but you can't do that on a Zoom call. I'm looking forward to when interview season might be a little bit more in-person sometime. It used to be fun, too, just to watch the applicants all in a room together and see how they interacted with each other. Sometimes we got pretty good information just from how they would socialize with each other. 
Absolutely. And as a nocturnist, I do value this night shift test. So that's what I think we really strive for is to find out our people. We all love our nocturnists. So whatever we can do to make sure we keep our (laughs) nocturnists happy by picking people that pass that 3 a.m. test, that is goal number one for sure. Thank you. I am the number one fan of nocturnists in emergency (laughs) medicine. All right, you guys. Well, that is going to conclude the questions that we had. More questions out there, but I think this gets us on the right footing. We're looking forward to the rest of the interviews we have to close out the interview season. And before we know it, we'll be done with interviews and looking towards match week. So Matt, to close us out, tell me, do you have any superstitions or rituals that you have around making your rank list or match week in general? Oh man, for all of the ways that I'm a total weirdo, I don't have any superstitions really about the rank list or match week. And right now we're trying to figure out where my five-year-old daughter is going to go to kindergarten. And we find out in the first or second week of March. So my wife and I actually have another match day prior to the NRMP match day. And I'm much more nervous about finding out where my daughter is going to go to kindergarten. I have a lot of faith in the match process. I have a lot of faith in the students who choose emergency medicine. And I'm pretty confident that we'll get people who pass that 3 a.m. test and go on to work side by side with Michelle in the middle of the night so I don't have to. That's my plan. That's awesome. Well, good luck to you and your family and your daughter on the kindergarten match. I don't know if there's a SOAP process for the kindergarten match or not. But we are going to send some letters of intent for sure. (laughs) Just make sure you tell them they don't have to respond. Michelle, do you have any final parting words that you would like to say? No, but I love these three questions and and the fact that we crowdsourced all the answers from the PD. So thanks for doing all that crowdsourcing work, Sarah. Absolutely. Thanks to the PDs who uh, helped us build the content for this. Huge thanks to Matt for joining us. Hopefully this was a great foray into the world of podcasting. Thanks always to our listeners for supporting us and listening. And we can't wait to bring you more great content and Have a wonderful rest of the winter season, everyone. Thank you for joining us for this episode of EM Match Advice. You can listen to any of our episodes for free on Podbean. You can also check out a summary of today's episode as a blog post on alium.com. 